What's up, FFR listeners? This is your engineer, Rob Para. Just giving you a quick heads up that it's going to sound a little different than usual today. Emily forgot to hit record on her side of the recording, so we have to use the Zoom backup audio for her. Just pretend that she's outside Anita's window screaming her opinions. All right, enjoy. Hey, listeners, you know we've got a Patreon, right? Where supporters get early access to all our podcasts, bonus episodes, discounts on merch, and access to the Feminist Frequency Discord. Well, now you do. Get all this fun stuff while supporting our show at patreon.com slash femfreak. That's F-E-M-F-R-E-Q. I would have gotten so high at a party in graduate school and listened to every bombo out of this idiot's mouth and I would have fallen (laughs) in love and he wouldn't have had any time for me and I would have just been obsessed with this guy. And it would have taken me like six years to realize what an asshole he was. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love. I'm Anita Sarkeesian, and I'm joined today by a woman who would literally commit murder for Tilda Swinton, Ebony Adams. That is accurate, Anita. Tilda, if you need any wet work done... Oh, that sounds even more <laughs> terrible than I intended. Uh, Tilda Cole. I feel like maybe all three of us are in that I mean, boat. I'm maybe like, we could just... who would not, who wouldn't? Yeah, it's exactly, exactly. I think there may be people out there who don't have their priorities Weird. straight. And I just want to, you know, let people can't know relate. where I stand. So. Can't relate. I'm very special, Trey. No, I don't think I am. Oh, no, you don't think you are. Very normal, really. You're not normal at all. So I want to not not live my whole life in this very privileged um, part of the world I come from. I want to be really aware about what's going on around me. Sorry, sorry. We can all be sincere, but um, what's it all for? The Souvenir is directed by Joanna Hogg. Wait. You haven't even introduced... We're doing it differently. We changed it, Carolyn. You have no say anymore. I don't need... All right. All right. I will wait for my entrance. Don't tell anyone I'm here yet. It's fine. It's a secret. Nobody knows. The Souvenir is director Joanna Hogg's loosely autobiographical fifth film and stars Honor Swinton Byrne, Tom Burke, Richard Ayoade, and Tilda Swinton, the person I would commit murder for. It's a contemplative, meditative coming-of-age story about Julie a young film student working her way towards an understanding of who she is and what she wants to express through art. During the course of the film, Julie enters a relationship with Anthony, an insufferable but worldly older man who issues a laconic dismissal of her opinions every time he smokes a cigarette, which is all the fucking time. As time goes on, (laughs) Julie learns some concerning facts about Anthony's life and history, which prompt her to finally release him from her life and move on. Joining us to talk about the film is film freak favorite and managing editor at Kotaku, Hey, everyone. I'm here. What? Surprise. <laughs> Hi. Carolyn had some 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 concerns about the new order. <laughs> he was like, listen, I get top billing. Basically, it was like that meme, like, ain't nobody coming to see you, Otis. <laughs> she knows the people come for Carolyn. I see some things have changed around here since I left. Oh, things. OK. You it know. all fell apart, mm-hmm. Carolyn. It all fell apart. Basically, yeah. Did. yeah. Well, so. Mm, yes. Yeah, there's no more intro talk. Uh, there's no uh, nothing. We don't give a fuck about people's feelings over here. Just <laughs> cut to the chase. Just cut just right kidding. to the chase. But yes. Because yes. everybody loves you. 
and regularly ask, when's Carolyn coming back on? Yeah, Let's know. take a minute and be like, yeah. hey, Carol, what's been going hey. on in the last, yeah. since, between Benedetta and the souvenir, you know? <laughs> wow. Uh, I mean, if, like several hundred years between, because Benedetta, Benedetta takes yeah, place in like the, yeah. I uh, know. Good. I mean, things are good. I live in, you know, and I, I'm enjoying New York still. Uh, I, um, uh, you know, it's it's still a bit. It's still weird because we're still living in COVID times, and I still yeah. feel like weird time to move to a new city because it certainly makes meeting new people and forming new friend groups and new communities that much more difficult. Uh, I'm not really getting the the like social experience of the city that I would like and hope to get at some point. But you know, I, I mean, uh, I'm I'm still just culturally when I feel it's safe. I'm I'm really I'm enjoying the city very much. Uh, I went, you know, for instance, recently to see um, on Broadway. So in college, so Stephen Sondheim, right, recently passed mm-hmm. the 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 towering figure of Ameri- of you know late 20th century American musical theater. Um, one of, in the 70s, a musical he wrote called, Com- is called, uh, is called Company. I stage managed, or assistant stage manager production of it in college. Anyway, long story short, right now on Broadway, there's a production of it that is fabulous and also does a cool gender swap thing where it makes the main character a woman instead of the, the man that it was written as mm-hmm. and conceived as. And it works terrifically and the cast is fantastic and it has... Um, it has Patty Lupone in it. Um, anyway, you know, delightful, tremendous, and like oh, yeah. only in New York, only on Broadway. You know, f- phenomenal. I love it. I love going to Central Park. I love my neighborhood, Astoria, Queens, New York, New York. Um, anyway, yes, so good. You know, overall, overall good. Uh, awkward as it is for all of us, but I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Great. I love that you're getting out and going to the theater. I know. It's yeah. very New York. I got real. You know, I mean, I'm a, I am a the- theater is in my roots. I did study theater in college. I haven't, it hasn't remained a significant part of my life throughout uh, my life, but it's certainly something that I still adore. And uh, yeah, hope to, hope to, you know, go see it. Oh, listen, I'm a every season ticket holder to the Carol one woman shows. Uh, that, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I used to be privy to in the office. So I'm well aware that I'm just loving that you're getting to see some some cool stuff but you know we miss talking to you every week yeah yeah all right well let's talk this week yes <laughs> sorry <laughs> smooth. 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 i'm so sorry all right Still got it yep this is good you missed so much okay. Marilyn. so yeah. this movie Anita, yeah you want to share with us your text about the film Oh, oh I had not watched it when you texted uh oh you hadn't watched it then what did i send at that point um, I, got um, it I don't right here uh, let me let me let me pull I, it up. I sent mine. a I sent a group text that got yeah. zero response. So that's how. So well, you might all think that we're friends, but we fake it for the podcast because nobody no, I, fucking responds to my text. I, you know, it was it was like a, a, a I was getting ready for bed. Yeah, of but, course. Uh, of yeah, course. Anita Anita messaged us um uh, a few days ago uh saying quote I can't stand this fucking dude in the souvenir. OMG, I'm not gonna make it. <laughs> right. um, and so that I like I said I had not seen it yet but man I was it, not exaggerating I, I enjoyed the movie but I had the exact same because he's oh, yeah. so good oh yeah playing this 
Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, no. So just some context that I don't actually have, but like this is a movie that people knew about, except for me, because I didn't know about it before Ebony suggested it. This was, um, <laughs> you know, it was like an indie darling kind of film that was like very revered and and praised. And she made a sequel um, to this movie that came out last year, which was also kind of when I understood that, I thought it was really weird to make a sequel to a movie like this because that's not normal-ish. But also like I kind of love it. Like I kind of love that that happened and I'm looking forward to seeing the second one. I'm assuming all of us have only watched the first one. Yeah. That is, that is correct, but I am interested point. in yes. seeing the second one now. Yeah. I'm very, very eager to see the sequel now. Yes. Me too. Okay, so this, the reason I sent that text, um, I think is like a, a, a praising of this film in a lot yes. of ways, right? Where I, so it is, a, it, you know, as we said in the intro, it's a young woman who um, finds herself surrounded by shitty men. Like just endlessly, right? Whether it is men that she is trying to um, is being interviewed to get into to film school, whether she's like pitching her movie, whether it's her fucking dad or someone else's dad or this guy that she's dating, and so it's just like this onslaught of like, I mean, shit. Uh, her roommate. Her roommates seems cool. Yeah, not all men apparently is no, Carol's just, new I afraid. Just, I did not. I I did not. Come come away from this film with the impression that it that the men by and large it, like wow you know I think there's there's a I, fellow was, student at the school the, who the seems guy, genuinely concerned about her I didn't I didn't get any impression huh. from the I didn't get any impression from the guy that the men running the film school. I I didn't you know I did not get that I thought it was I thought they were asking very kind of I wow. thought it was very standard. Okay. Ebony, Stop. did you? <laughs> I I really miss having you on the podcast for this very specific uh, reason. Like, oh, yeah, because like yeah. she opens it up and asks the good questions. Um, I'm I'm leaning more towards um Carol's end. Um, and you know, I've only seen the movie once, but I think that the type of shitty men that um that Julie you know is surrounded by, like they were so expertly drawn. You know, so in that circle, it is, you know, every dude. But in the larger circles um, that she, ex- I'm, not, I'm not expressing myself well, but yeah, I did think, you know, there there were some dudes in her circle, like um, her, the fellow student, like her roommate, who were not insufferable bores. Yeah, but I don't think that, I think that's like the margin of error. I, I To me, at least. <laughs> no, for sure. real. Yeah, I feel no, no, like, I, uh-huh. I feel like this film is, is primarily about this shitty relationship with this guy and well, the complicated, you know, certainly. let's get into that because I think it's ex- expertly, oh, um, the line is walked so perfectly. Yeah. But to me, the environment is a woman in the 80s trying to mm-hmm. get, go through uh, to be a filmmaker and having all of these men be gatekeepers around her mm. and like being aggressive or, you know, l- lightly, ag- I'm using aggressive sort of dramatically, but even the the friend of of Patrick who comes over and is like, this is what I think about film school. Like his his partner didn't speak at all. Like it was mm-hmm. just these very dominant men with a lot of opinions who are the gatekeepers to this career that she is trying that is she she's young and new in. And so I I'm so 
I'm like a little baffled that um, that that you all didn't read that. And I wonder if that's just my own take no, on I don't it. Think so. because I, 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 think, I, feel I don't that think way you're, like, I don't disagree at all with what you're saying. I think you're you're absolutely correct. I'm just saying that, you know, in my viewing, the thing that I focused on was the, the specific environment that she operated in. So for me, it was recognizing and remembering dudes like this from graduate school and like, you know, the literati, like those kind of circles, like the artistic circles. I was more concerned with how those kind of environments are incredibly toxic and, you know, just incredibly like poisonous and and just nauseating and, you know, their relation, like transactional relationships. Um, It wasn't so much about gender for me, but that's just the way that like I'm saying, I didn't see your your reading is not wrong. I just yeah. was focusing it, on it, other stuff. It, it's not wrong at all. It's it's just uh, it, yeah. it's not what I took. It's not what I took. Like I I think the questions that the men asked her for that like entrance exam where they were I don't know I I think they they just struck me as the kind of rigorous questions a student maybe who's trying to enter a prestigious film school would be asked about their ethic and their work and like why they want to tell the stories they want to tell and, and those kinds of things. Yeah. You know, that but, scene did make me a little uncomfortable. No, and hold on. I think I can break down it, why I think it's a little bit different than that, because I, you're not wrong. Mm. I, like, I don't, I don't, you know, okay, whatever. We all, we all interpret things differently and that's totally fine. And that's the miracle of filmmaking and storytelling. But, okay, so I think there's something really interesting about how it's filmed. It is two men mm-hmm. and her in a giant yes. warehouse for the majority of that scene. And she looks small yes. and like shot, like shot on a wide like, I mean, I, I don't know if that's what happened, but in my brain, my memory of this is that she's like this small figure with these two looming dudes asking her these tough questions that feel more like less tough questions, but more like um, not curious about her perspective, but more like you're not thinking about this correctly mm. and asking provoking questions around like getting her to realize that like she needs to get in line with how filmmaking is supposed to be done. Hmm. I mean, and then, and then, but, and then it opens up to the entire panel where there's one woman on the panel and it's all dudes. And like, it feels even more aggressive to me because you're like whole, like the framing of that whole scene is meant for her to be this small, tiny little, like out of like fish out of water. And, and, and I am, of course, like it's intimidating and of course it's daunting. And of course you're, like, I I imagine she'd be terribly nervous because they have all the power and, you know, like the ability to control whether really whether she's able to pursue this what she wants to make her life's work and her career and her art, you know, and her artistic vision. Um, you know, but at the same time, I mean, I, um, I mean, weren't you on some level inclined to question why and why a privileged like, is it the place of a privileged woman from Knightsbridge to like yeah 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 to yeah, tell yeah. the story of 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 you know the poor dock workers in Sunderland and like would she not would she do it justice or would she like impose like you know just kind of use it in some window dressingy way to tell a you story that's really about her yes um, and totally and you're totally right and i hear that and i think that i went to like they there's this adage in filmmaking or whatever and creative stuff is like write what you know yes. and i think that that is a part of the problem 
Um, yes. Because the people who are like, who get to write what they know are, you know, the people who are more dominant. Da, da. So I clicked into that piece as opposed to clicking into the challenging sure. her privilege piece. Um, and so I, you know, I, yeah, that's, I think what happened. I think anyway, I think it's very, it's very complex. And I think it's, it's a tribute to the film in a way that we take all these threads um, in, in it because the 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 characters even the minor characters are are so well drawn psychologically mm-hmm. and the relationships and the interactions feel so real and so yeah let's get to the central yeah. relationship in this film because my god it is just like the most excruciating well excruciating uh. but also like insightful portrait yeah. you know one of the most insightful portraits of a particular type of Manipula- manipulative behavior and attitude that I that I have ever seen. So, I mean, I, I did not. So, I I thought going into this film that it might be similar to this film um, called An Education, which yes. is a very good film starring like Carrie Mulligan and Peter Sarsgaard. You know, a young woman, you know, drawn to an older man who's like obviously, who of course does shitty things and m- manipulates his power as a man in society to you know kind of pull the wool over her eyes. And it's a, it's a great, very insightful coming of age story that has so much to say about, you know, gender dynamics and so on and so forth. But what I, I didn't know going into this film is that a major part of what makes it all so complicated is that Anthony is a heroin addict. Uh, so he works at the foreign uh, service, the foreign, is that yeah, what the foreign office. Mm-hmm. foreign office. And, you know, he, the way that, Okay, let's start here. Like the scene that I think is most emblematic of, and this is a thing where I think people, not just young women who have had relationships with older men, but I think people who who have had any, all kinds of relationships with addicts in their lives, whether it's a parent or a, you know, an adult and a grown child or a sibling or whatever, will be able to relate to this dynamic. There is a scene in which... um, Okay, Anthony does something terrible. He and then uh, he's you know he admits that he did it, uh, and but like by the end of the scene, like he has her apologizing to him. Mm-hmm. It's incredible! It's like incredible, right? And and uh, watching that like. Just, I mean, I have not spent like that much time. I mean, I I have had a major addict in my life at one point, but but I mean, I just the truthfulness of that dynamic and the way it plays out and the way you watch it happen and how it gets to that point and and you and it's like you know on one hand you're like why are you apologizing to him, but at the same time you totally understand how he's done it and how he's like twisted yeah. her into that position. It is an amazing scene. Um, and like the whole relationship kind of, you know, is like that in that he, um, like very early on, you know, he's almost a little bit, I would say has a little bit of what you might call pickup artist energy because like mm-hmm. in the way that he quote unquote kind of negs her, like, or like I remember very early on in their time together, he like something he says is like, you're lost and you always will be. And he kind of, in he kind of walks this line at times of being both like very dismissive of her, um, her ideas about film and her, you know, and the things she wants to do. And, but then, and being like praising just enough or to kind of like, 
you know, be this like slippery figure who sometimes you can come to for the comfort and sometimes like just will treat you so coldly. And, and it's all because, you know, and it's all because it's all tied into his addiction in a way. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's fascinating. Yeah, I think the the actor who plays um, Anthony, Tom Burke, Burke. does such a masterful job because it would have been very easy to, you know, sort of moonwalk into a mustache twirling kind of villain, um, a villainous portrayal of Anthony, but he doesn't do that. You can easily see in certain key scenes why he can be, why he's so charming at some level, how his like, you know, dismissal of Julie's opinions and her reactions, how it's coached in such a way, or, you know, it's, it's framed in such a way that it's, it's seductive, you know, um, because it's like, no, you're not seeing this in the right way. No, you know, you're not expressing this. Way. Why are you, why are you planning to do this, et cetera, et cetera, nagging her, as you say, Carol, but nevertheless, expressing just enough seemingly like fascination with her mm-hmm. that it's magnetic you know and so it, i find it interesting like in the very beginning of the film i mean like <laughs> i knew what kind of dude uh anthony was when we see him at the very beginning at that party in the flat and he's talking to um this black woman and i think he's asking her if she wants to move in because his normal roommate his usual roommate is rarely there and she said, you know, as long as your, your roommate will be okay with it. And he says, yeah, I, t- I told him about you, that you were kind of a wild child and exotic. And I was like, I have this guy's fucking number. Oh, They're 100%. Like, yeah. You know, at grad school parties and just like the endless smoking and the world weariness that is so, you can only get away with that um, with people who have not experienced as much. Like it's, it's vital that Julie is younger than he is and that she is not um, as worldly as he is, which is not to say that she's naive in any way, but I think, you know, she just hasn't been around his type of person long enough to immediately see what he's doing and that he's bad news from the beginning. But yeah, I just want to shout out Tom Burke because he was so, I was like physically repulsed by him. And it's just a <laughs> testament to how good he was. I, that portrayal. I, uh, earlier I said Patrick when I meant Anthony, just for whatever that's worth. Um, yeah, I think Patrick was uh, the character played by Richard Ayoade, the one who's like, so I'm just wondering, <laughs> like the one who eventually re- you know, reveals, like, yeah. how did the two of you <laughs> come yeah. together? How did you tessellate? Um, <clears throat> when we see them sitting in that giant, like, you know, old school looking hall, and he's like, are they more real than me? Am I more real oh, than Jesus. you? I was like, oh, this is, oh, fuck. Like I like I immediately was like, I don't know if I can handle this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, we started with the text that I sent because that what you both are expressing is how like subtly and deliberately and carefully this narrative is crafted to to not I to, to show how the manipulation works in a way that is still very sympathetic to her. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that that can be hard to do where like there, you know, you're she takes him back after he robs her and you're like, right. what the fuck is wrong with you? But also yeah. you're like, you kind of are like, yeah, it's really hard to get out. It's hard to like, yeah. re- you and, know, feelings and, are real. And and when you love an addict, you always or not always, maybe you do eventually maybe get to that point where you realize that it's never going to change. But it's very mm-hmm. 
common and very understandable to have that hope in you that like, okay, maybe, maybe this yeah. time it's, it's going to be different. Maybe they're like, they're not going to relapse or they're not going to behave that right. way anymore. You know, it, it you, you so want to believe, right. That, that, that maybe yeah. that maybe if now that he, cause he loves me, he loves me and he must love me more than he loves the heroin. Right. So, you, yeah. you know, he'll do it. He'll be better now. And yeah, and they've shared that profound intimacy too, because I think at the point where she takes him back after the robbery, um, is that after she's watched him go through withdrawal? Yeah, it's it's because oh. then yeah, I, I, I can't remember the order, but I like when you share those moments with someone, and you see them at their most vulnerable. Yes, and I think it's it's admirable in a way. It's you know ultimately you know futile when you're working or you know dealing with addicts but it is it is ultimately so human to say like i've seen this person at rock bottom i cannot leave them i know how hard it is and i mean the the film is sort of unflinching it doesn't you know linger um too long over anthony and the throes of withdrawal but you see the grossness of it you know i mean just like the the shaking the trembling the the vomit i mean just you know the fluids on him you know and when you've seen someone in that condition yeah you know you are so now connected on on a deep level to their sobriety to to their life to their continued life you know and so it's it's incredibly difficult and yet like i said you know it would be easy um and in the hands of a lesser director and a lesser actor um to paint tom as this irredeemable villain that we, you know, are unable to empathize with completely. And we are baffled by Julie's, you know, um, her attraction to him. But the film grants us and Julie the grace to say, we understand why you would make these choices. They're poor choices, but we get it. Yeah. And I do want to call that out a little bit in terms of like the other perspective of this, of like, not just the drug addict piece, but the manipulation piece. Uh, which, you know, obviously is related, but, um, yeah. you know, what you're talking about is like Julie is kind of young and a little bit naive and a little bit inexperienced. Mm-hmm. And like, y- like, I think that at that age and at that moment in this in, in her life, she can't see the manipulation. And I think it's brilliant to show us as the audience that that's happening. You see it immediately at the very beginning um, where he's kind of a dick to her and she's she's just like, that's like, this is love. Right. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is what what it, what this hetero relationship is like and, and what to expect. And he's older, so he must know more. And he has this like established job and he's so worldly and all that. And so the normalizing of that kind of manipulation to the point where near where near the end, she actually like she had kicked him out for being a junkie. And then when he comes back, she says she hasn't been nice to him and that she's been a beast to him. And you're just Mm -hmm. your heart is breaking because she has been so beaten down. You know, beaten down is not actually the right metaphor that I want to use here. But there's like a a kind of grinding that happens where like the the she has correlated her feelings for this person with like. As with manipulation, and I think without realizing that that's what it is, right? For a lot of folks mm-hmm. who are in abusive situations similar to this, they don't realize it until they're out of it, or or they have a, another um, romantic interaction that is actually healthy, and they're like, "Holy fuck, I didn't know it could be this way," right? Yeah. And 
there's something for me as someone who's like experienced that kind of relationship, like it's so hard for me to watch because it's asking like for me yeah. very personally, it's asking me to relive that. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and watch it. And there, so there's a part right. of me that's like, this is really hard. And like Carolyn, as you're saying, like you, you've lived with an addict, right? Like there's something really hard about watching that and like yes. kind of being asked to relive it and something so gratifying and beautiful about the accuracy of it. Right. right? In, yeah. in a world in which we don't get that kind of accuracy to our experiences. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like, like it is remarkable. I mean, to, to within, you know, a two-hour film to write these characters so precisely that, like, someone like me, someone like you, you know, can look at a scene, a, the way a dynamic plays out, the you know, the way a, a, a character is shift, you know, yes, is, is uh, feeling <laughs> wrong for their the perfectly reasonable uh, things that they have done and felt and said, um, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's remarkable. To the, I mean, it's, it's the craft I, is tremendous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I do, I want to call out a, a one particular example of the like filmmaking that I, I noted mm -hmm. because it was just so breathtaking to me is mm -hmm. there's um, a scene where, so she's upstairs and she hears this big crash and he's like, like he he like he, you know you hear a crash he she comes downstairs she sees him in like utter disarray but like he's he's like punching the glass he's like everything is torn up he's bleeding like all this shit is happening you don't really see as much of the chaos but like you get what's happening mm -hmm. the next scene cuts to the two of them with i believe her parents sitting around the table and there's a shot where everyone is like being friendly and nice and cordial and like there's a different angle that you see where the glass is broken and, yeah. and you don't see the glass broken in the scene with the heated moment you see right. it in the in the calmness and the tranquility of like this violence and this addiction and this manipulation is is always present even and in no one's moments. gonna mention it yeah no one's you gonna know mention and it. no one mentions it it's just in the background yeah, yeah. and i thought that was beautiful oh, it's like so, just mm -hmm. so effective. such a choice mm -hmm. yeah mm. God. can we go back to the scene that you were um both talking about uh when <laughs> julie is sort of you know in front of that firing line of you know inquisitors asking her like why do you want to do a film that's so far from your own life experiences and wouldn't it be actually more radical to focus on things that are closer to you and everything um, because I mean, that scene made me really uncomfortable <clears throat> because even though I recognize that there are many of the questions that were being posed were important questions for any artist to, to ask themselves. It made me uncomfortable in that scene, Anita, going back to what you were saying about like the, the gender um, wonkiness, you know, um, the, the disparity in power in, in those scenes, because I was like, how often are male artists asked that question? Sure. Certainly not as often. And it's, it's not demanded of male artists in any field. Yeah, I guess that's um, it. To, to write solely about what they know. Right. But it is demanded of people of color and it yeah. is demanded of women as if that is the only way that we can create the art. 
So, you know? yes, I, I mean, I think there's something to be said. There's this idea of the, you know, the male experience is, you, you know, is treated, treated as universal. The, the mm-hmm. you know, the female experience is seen as gendered or as particular. And um, I actually part, think that's part of what's remarkable about this film and the fact that it has a sequel, I, which again, I've not yet watched is here. We have a, you know, a, a, a you know, a, a lauded, female filmmaker, you know, uh, who ha- who does have roots in in the avant-garde, who comes from the art space, you know. She, Joanna Hogg is, like, in the 80s, is, like, I mean, Tilda Swinton back then was just pure, like, you know, working with, like, Derek Jarman. Anyway, like, very, mm-hmm. uh, yes, like, kind of avant-garde, radical, like, truly radical filmmakers, challenging structure, challenging notions of form. And, and, I, and, and, and I love how this film is not... Um, you know, it, it's not conventional narrative structure in that it's like uh, it really cares about us following the through line of the plot three months later, six months later. You know, it doesn't do that. Right. It just trusts us to follow the flow. Anyway, but so I watched I only watched the trailer for the part two, the souvenir part two. And at one point mm-hmm. in the trailer, you know, as it's showing like quotes from critics who praise the film, one of the quotes is and it's Peter Brad- Bradshaw of The Guardian. It says some. it's something like. You know, a the quote is something like a wonderful portrait of the filmmaker as a young woman, and which is clearly a reference. Mm-hmm. The critic there is referencing the jo- James Joyce novel, a portrait of the artist as a young man, and mm-hmm. it, that just made me think, like, like wow, you know, so often again, like the male artist experience, the male experience in general, again treated as universal, and I I think with stories like this. Like, although, yes, I mean, it's very much about like a young woman with a with an older man and the kind of, you know, that dynamic that I'm sure is familiar to so many women and, you know, being that that particular coming of age experience and so on. I I do think there's something, you know, even if it's not structurally radical, this film, even if it's not like radical in its form or in its structure, I mean, just the way that stories like this, I think do work in a way to un- to try to universalize the female experience in the same way mm-hmm. that male experience is so often universalized in a sense of like to just like any viewer should be able to kind of you know we're aligned with Julie we we should be anyway in watching this mm-hmm. and, and um you know like that shouldn't be radical it shouldn't but, but i mean and i think it still is it still does press against the status quo in some important way. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, I just think that's. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I guess the, the thing that, that bothered me about that scene is yeah. the way that it seemed implicit that women don't, shouldn't even have access to imagination. So you are not sure. even allowed to imagine telling another story because the only real, the only true, the only possible story, the only possible art that you can create you know, right. um, must arrive out of self. But for men and white men in particular, they are allowed to envision anything, you know? So it was just, it, that was just, yeah. you know, one. Uh, completely. I mean, we don't you know, know for sure that they it. don't ask those questions of the mm-hmm. young men, but certainly just historically, yes. Like, absolutely. I mean, of course, it's so, yeah. it's so true. Um, I do, yeah. I do love um, that we get to hear uh, a little like analysis and one there's a scene where they're like uh, mm-hmm. I don't know we're workshopping some scene or whatever and 
one of the uh, heads of the film school starts talking about like psycho and we get to hear mm-hmm. a little like analysis of Hitchcock's technique and um, stuff. I, you know, I love it when, I love it when films are about film a little bit and, and this film has some really good like stuff about film and filmmaking in it that I, I really enjoyed. I also yeah. like um, that there's the scene where she just like is fucking up on set. Like she's just yeah. like, doesn't know what she's doing. And I think there's something so valuable about seeing that, especially as this is like, it is semi autobiographical mm. of a very like dear filmmaker. That's highly respected that like we all yes. start somewhere like yeah. learning and, and knocking over hey. a fucking light and not knowing how to make a decision. Hey. And like, you know that God. like, I think that there's something very honest and, and beautiful and about demonstrating that completely. I mean, and I saw this, this video rant go, you know, make the rounds on Twitter yesterday where it's a, a guy from some podcast or something. I don't even, I don't know what the source is. Sorry. But, you know, talking about like how, about how there needs to be funding for people in the arts so that they can make their really shitty first film and second film, yeah. shitty second film and sec- shitty third film or whatever, so that they can get to the point where they can start, uh, you know, being good and better and growing and doing the stuff that's actually valuable or whatever. But like, yeah, but so often what happens is, you know, like the funding just isn't there. Somebody like well, and that's, their first work doesn't get picked up mm-hmm. or looked at because it's amateur, it's shitty. And then that's it. Like that's the end. And yeah. and that's film know. school. Like, I mean, and right. you have to pay to go to film school usually, but exactly. like that's part of yes. film school is like, right. that's where you go and make all your mistakes and do everything bad. So you don't right. have to put that into the world. But like, that is very limiting. A lot of people can't go to film school. What if you're older? What if you don't have the money? What if, you know, what if, what if, what if? So like, that would be so cool to have that in all, in all, you know, what this, that's, sorry, I just rolled my yeah. eyes because I'm like, that's such a bigger thing about like funding sure. the arts yeah. <laughs> in general, right? Um, which is infuriating. Um, yeah, and I mean, Patrick is right about that uh, in the movie when he says, like, you know, what is the point of film school? Like, these people are just churning out filmmakers who are like themselves, you know? Like, it's it's something that you get stamped. It's something that you do. But if you're a filmmaker, you make films. So, yeah, I definitely, what are you waiting for? I appreciated his perspective, his rants about art or, like, you know, him bringing up, I, um, yeah. <laughs> I did too, but I will say that I add him to my list of like men talking Genius. down. Yeah, because I actually oh, yeah. this is because I, I've been talking about this. Like, well, actually, dudes, um, often the ones mm. in my life, because I have a lot yeah. of them in my life, or recovering well actually dudes, like tend <laughs> to be really fucking smart and tend to have like really good points and and, and like you know, whatever. They just are fucking dicks about how they communicated, right? right? So that was another scene to me where I'm like, oh, this guy is really smart and he's saying smart things, but he's a fucking domineering dick and mm-hmm. like doesn't let anyone else talk. And I don't, you know, that's how I read it, which is based on my experiences and my perspective Completely. and all that, like, you know, whatever. But it was it was one of those, it was, yeah, that's it. My point is. Oh, yeah, and I, <laughs> I watched that scene thinking like Richard Ayoade is so beautiful. And with that coat that he was wearing, it wasn't a fur coat, but it was just this very like mm-hmm. kind of Jimi Hendrixy kind of statement coat and that great hair. And I think he had an eyeliner on too. And he's offering these just like, you know, profit on high, you know, outsider, <laughs> you know, guru kind of pronouncements. And I was just like, I would have gotten 
so high at a party in graduate school and listened to every momo out of this idiot's mouth and I would have fallen (laughs) in love and he wouldn't have had any time for me and I would have just been obsessed with this guy and it would have taken me like six years to realize what an asshole he was but I just (laughs) this film was it there was a really painful kind of nostalgia to me because there's a lot of these dudes in the old Ebbs history. You and know, I just barely made it if out. If we all, like, because there's this thing where we're all like, yeah, when we were dumb, we did these things or we didn't know any better. And I was like, man, is that just a product of like being young and being in all these shitty relationships? And I was about to say something like, man, like, like that, like we just have to look, go through it and learn. And I was like, no, we fucking don't. We cannot yeah. be harmful to people. Like, we right. can have bad relationships that are not predicated <laughs> right. on harm and abuse. Like, like right. we, we need to teach young people about accountability and about harm prevention and about, like, you know, like all of that shit. So I just wanted yeah. to share that journey that I just went on in those two <laughs> seconds to be like, it can be better. We don't yes. have to accept this as a norm yes. for young people or, like, or people new to relationships, romantic relationships. The, um, I do, um, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't just mention the music a little bit in this, um, because mm. I, I think, so I am confusing the music in a movie I watched last night with the music in this movie, but I do remember, <laughs> I do mm. remember thinking that like that, that the music signaled, like had some signaling to it as well. Right. Where she'd be listening to like, there's this opening scene where, or sorry, I'm sorry. There's an early scene where. She's listening to something like punk or like 80s rock kind of. And the screen is split where he's in the kitchen with like a yeah. um, an apron on and and she's just in the living room listening to music. And there's a disconnect. Like there's this feeling of like this music is too young for him or like he's kind of annoyed or something like that. And then it cuts to another scene where they're sitting around listening to like classical music or opera or something like that. And I thought that the All music right. was 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 creating a signal of like kind of taming her and shaping and grooming her to be what he wants her to be. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because she has turned off his opera to play her music. But then later when we hear the opera, like she has stopped asserting herself in that way. And so when there's a later scene where you have the split screen, he's in this like long kind of kingly robe and she's also in a robe, you know, like even visually they've started, he started to, you know, sort of wear away what makes her different. Totally. I have a note that says, why is he wearing a Napoleon jacket? Because <laughs> he was wearing, Questions. like he kept wearing that jacket and then he was wearing it around his PJ. I just, it was so perfect. Like this movie is so fucking good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder too, like there's so many things I recognize in this because I either experience them or I'm familiar with abuse or like these sorts of patterns and I can see these subtle things, right? Like I can identify that music or the tension or whatever. And I wonder how much I miss in movies about things I don't understand mm. with these subtle cues, right? Mm-hmm. Like, which I think are beautiful and wonderful and part of the depth of filmmaking. And now I'm just like, man, how much am I missing? Cause I just don't know things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, oh. all right. Yeah. I'm really excited to watch the next movie. I need a break from it a little mm-hmm. bit. Cause I feel mm-hmm. like this was he- very heavy for me, but I'm like so curious to see yeah. the trajectory and the arc of that. Like the, the other right. thing I'll say about this movie is that it's very character driven. Um, and, right. and like, it's not like there's no plot and no conflict or whatever, but it's very character driven. And so I'm very curious about like what that looks like in a mm-hmm. sur- a, a sort of surviving this 
moment in this yeah. relationship and growing in this this character's career, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. We will be right back. We all need a little emotional support from time to time, but don't always have the resources or access to the support that understands us. I know it would have been life-changing if during the height of the online abuse against me to have anyone else who understood what I was going through. That's why me and my team built the Games and Online Harassment Hotline. We provide free, confidential, emotional support for people who make and play games. Because we are people who make and play games too, and we get it. You can learn more by texting INFO to 23368 from anywhere in the U.S. Or visit gameshotline.org. That's info to two three three six eight or gameshotline.org. Now it's time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week. Carolyn, do you no. have a freak out? I do. I do. Hell yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, I, well, I was debating between, I actually have two wolves inside me right now as we all do the two wolves <laughs> um there is the the film the film wolf and the book wolf i mean but, you uh, can do both carolyn I, all right both. i give you well, permission thank you let Anita. the wolves be friends uh, yes okay well first one is a book which i actually i i forgot i was going to be on the show this week and i so you know i've been thinking about i've been telling people left and right about this book anyone i can get to listen because it's one of just one of those books where it's like oh my god i have to tell everyone about this book because it's so it's so good i can't stop thinking about it so i i i already freaked out about it too anita but i'll freak out about it now i know for i all got a, you, i got a private i got a private freak out yeah, i felt so did. special <laughs> uh so this book uh the book is called the gentrification of the mind witness to a lost imagination it's by sarah shulman it was originally published in 2013, so it's not like a brand new book. Uh, Sarah Shulman, um, if folks don't know, uh, is uh, you know um, a tremendous uh, writer of queer, queer, lesbian, I should say, lesbian, uh, you know, fiction in the 80s. Uh, she wrote, you know, and, and 90s. And anyway, she's wrote landmark books, including like Girls, Visions and Everything, uh, uh, after Dolores. Anyway, you know, really important fiction writer, but also a nonfiction writer who has written about, uh, well, a great many things. But in, hey, here in this book, um, so she, she, I, you know, it's one of those books where it's, it's a slim volume. It's like, it's like less than 200 pages. And yet it's about so much in that, that 180 pages or whatever it is that I struggle to even figure out how to articulate, you know, the ideas in it make my brain feel like it's expanding as I try to hold them in my head because they're so, like, so phenomenal and so obviously right in my mind, and yet it's hard to condense. Um, but uh, So she grew up, or she, she lived in, in New York City in the early 80s when the AIDS crisis um, exploded, she watched her friends who were gay male artists get sick and die by the dozens. And she saw the whole uh, queer, uh, you know, arts subculture of New York basically almost essentially get eradicated by AIDS and then by the gentrification of the neighborhoods in which those people had lived that was, you know, very 
helped along by the AIDS crisis as these people just, you know, from out of state who had completely different values and who completely different lived on a completely different economic tier, swooped in, bought the apartments, the rents skyrocketed, the whole culture of the neighborhoods changed. And a whole in, in Shulman's view, and she makes the argument so beautifully and so persuasively and so like heartbreakingly with uh, that, you know, like we lost not only the, the, the lives of, of all those people, which are of course, like just incalculable in, in, the devastation of that loss, but also uh, a whole like way of thinking. Uh, so, you know, oppositionally and, and in truly kind of radical ways that were often expressed through art because capitalism, you know, she says that kind of paved the way for capitalism to, to, to smooth over, you know, a lot of rough edges to, to sort of uh, integrate the, you know, the, the, whole like American theater scene to make it a tool of capitalism. And, you know, she talks about how like, yes, maybe, and this is again, she's writing in 2013. I don't know how she would frame this or think of th how she thinks about it now or how the data has changed. But, you know, she talks about how like even the, like in the eighties, like yes, queer literature on, you know, is often more on the margins, but it had the room to be truly radical and explicit and, and to in its in its ideas as political ideas as well as its sexuality and she's like now you know in the late 2000s the early 2010s it's like all the queer women i know who are established writers like they don't put their queerness into their into the fiction that they write because they can't because they won't it, like it wouldn't be published if they did or so it's this interesting like what has been lost by you know, as a result of AIDS and gentrification and not just in terms of human life, uh, but ideologically. And there's so much fascinating stuff in it about power dynamics and uh, and capitalism and art and queerness and feminism and everything. It's and it's a you know, it's a it's a really lively and colorful, gripping, you know, it, it read it's not a dry academic book it's it, it's you know it's very compelling um okay that sounds she, amazing thank you uh thank yes uh, thank you <laughs> thank, thank you, you. Uh, i wrote it thank I you i wrote it i know i know I'll, I'll tell sarah next time i see sarah i'll tell her i'll tell her you said that. uh no but i encourage i really encourage people to i think it's a tr genuinely important book that is also like like compelling to read not you know not some just like oh you know i you where you're anyway where yes uh, the other thing i wanted to freak out about uh it's oscar season uh so i briefly mentioned this on my la uh, my last appearance on during the benedetta episode but it's now playing in like uh, i don't know 100 cities across the country it got nominated for best picture everyone yay drive my car, drive my my car, car. car. it's so uh, good it's Holy so fuck. and Sorry, to be honest I, Anita, I wasn't i wasn't sure you would I love know. it it's so, so good. I'm Holy glad. Fuck. I'm you know, I'm glad you like it. But so you know, dry. What's so? I mean, I. It's again like I can't stop thinking about it. Uh, but you know, it's a film that it's interesting on so many levels. But let me just highlight this uh, about it. I guess, um, you know, maybe. And so it's it's three hours. And so like the first forty minutes basically is all kind of set up. But and and then it's say at roughly the thirty thirty or forty minute mark, a thing happens that. You know, you might think, oh, this is going to be, this is tropey. Like, oh, this is going to be, like, about a dude, like, in a kind of tropey way. 
And it winds up not being that at all. Like, it's such a human and um, story about, like, connection and life and what makes life worth living. And uh, and um, there's, like, the, the use of theater. So, so the main character is a theater director, and his whole thing is his whole, you know, like, technique, basically, is that he casts actors from, you know, who speak different languages, actors from different parts, different regions of the world, you know, in the same play, and they will speak in their native tongue, you know, and the audience follows along through what are called supertitles, like the dialogue projected, you know, above the, Mm -hmm. the, the stage for those people who they don't understand. And so, I mean, you have this play in the film, Uncle Vanya, which is, in my view, one of the just, just timelessly great, films about what it, or plays about what it is to be a living human being and suffer and endure and find comfort in each other's presence. And you have it, you know, being acted out through actors who, uh, you know, are not all speaking the same language. One of them uses a Korean sign language and, you know, just somehow the metaphor of this, like these characters suffering and persevering and struggling together like while like the actors are speaking different languages it to me is this like uh just tremendously beautiful thing in and of itself but then the way the film kind of contextualizes that in the lives of of the central character and this woman this young woman who who drives his car for reasons that aren't important here um i mean it's just and the the filmmaking, it's so, like, it's so gentle, it's so meditative in mm. terms of, like, there's very little camera movement, and it, it will just linger, and there's so much beauty in it, in, like, the, in coasts and just watching the beautiful red sob that he owns, like, ride, glide along highways and through cityscapes char- at night and everything. Um, the character, I mean, the car is another character. The car like, is another fully. character, like... It, it 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 kind of represents in a way this insulated life that he has lived because his wife dies, but he's still in the car as an actor. He'll still like recite lines with like recordings that his wife made when she was alive. And so the car kind of in a way, you can view it in so many ways. It kind of symbolizes like this insulated life that he creates for himself after she dies and all this stuff. But, um, but despite the, this kind of gentleness in its tone, I mean, it's also like, it has a profound, like, uh, uh, it's moving in a way that's really, like, deep. It's not like a, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a serene film in a way, but not, like, dull. I mean, there are de- there are deep emotions, uh, you know, at play here. It's just not, it's just not like a really, um, you know, like a film that on the surface is, like, struggling to, to make you feel something. Like, you know, like so many blockbusters it- do. But you really do get pulled into it and you really feel something as you watch this film. It is remarkable to me that it is a three-hour movie that I feel like fully 100% is earned. Right. Like, I don't, I, you know, whatever. We can talk about, like, like the movies and stuff. But, like, I very rarely do I want to sit through a fucking three-hour movie, right? Like, that just feels very mm-hmm. long. And this movie, I was like, oh, you earned it. Like, you deserve every fucking minute that you took. Um. And there, there are these just like these epic sort of monologue, like conversation scenes that you're just riveted by and you're just like present and you're like, yes. I want to sit and watch you have this conversation on a fucking mountaintop, like because yes. 
the performances are mm. amazing and like what they're saying mm. and the emotion of them. Like I'm like, yes, you can have 10 minutes right. or 20 minutes just in this one conversation. And that's totally great and fine and mm. wonderful. So I, yeah, I got, I got the, I wasn't sure what I would think of the movie because there is a little bit of like, Carolyn, you, I remember you being like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah, is yeah. your kind of movie, but I loved it. My, um, a mutual friend of Carolyn and I's, um, we went together and, um, he is very film snobby. Uh, and, <laughs> and he, um, you know, when he, like he, his traditionally when you can kind of see a plot point coming, he kind he gets bored, right? He's like, that sucks that I knew that. And in yeah. this movie, he was like, I saw a lot of this coming and I loved it. Like mm-hmm. it was so okay that that happened. And it was, it was the thing that should have happened. And I think that that's, I don't know, coming from him as someone that mm-hmm. I go see movies with a lot, like mm-hmm. really, uh, res- like, uh, yeah. I feel like was very high praise of like, you yeah. don't have to reinvent anything right. when you're making a movie. You just have to do it with so much it, heart yeah, and like exactly. storytelling mm-hmm. gusto. And like, it just, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, drive my car. I'm so glad it was mm-hmm. nominated. And mm. I highly recommend folks check it out mm. as well. Mm. So just adding to the praise. Mm. Um, <gasps> ugh, yeah. Okay. Um, I went to see Sid and Nancy, the 1986 oh, wow. movie about Sid and Nancy, mm-hmm. um, Sid of, of the Sex Pistols. And that is a movie that I had seen as a teenager because I was obsessed with Courtney Love. And so I obviously watched it because she's in it. Uh, she's bad. She's very bad <laughs> in it. Wait, um, it's my thinking. No, of a different she doesn't film? star it. No, no, no. She okay, it's because it's Gary it. Oldman and it's Gary Oldman and Chloe Webb. Right. Okay. Thank you. Um, which which is interesting because I was while we were waiting for the movie to start, I was reading the IMDb trivia, and Gary Oldman was like, "I fucking hated playing this role. I hated. Mm. I hate punk rock. I hate everything about it." <laughs> You're just yeah. like, "Holy shit, man!" Um, despite that, I think Gary Oldman is a fucking incredible actor. Um, and he was incredible in this. Both him and Chloe Webb, I think, were were really sensational. Um, it it the the I, part of the reason why I'm sharing it is because I feel like there is something so special about this movie that I probably will never watch again because it is so textual or te- like not not like um. Like not textual like texts, but textual like the texture of the world, right? Like mm. the the dirt, like the dirt. Yeah, <laughs> it is a mm-hmm. dirty fucking movie. Yeah, it is grime. It is like suffering. It is euphoria. It is like just devastating. It's devastation, like orbiting a love story, and it's and I think it's so. I don't see a lot of movies that just. Feel where you just kind of feel gross the whole fucking time you're watching it. And they're like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's a testament to the filmmaking and of like what they were trying to get across. Um, it's directed by Alex Cox. And one of the reasons I was also interested is because I have been listening to. So Roger Deakins is the cinematographer on this. It was one of his earlier films. And um, Roger Deakins is a very famous cinematographer that's done. Worked with the Coen brothers, did. um uh, 1917 and the new Blade Runner and on and on. He like just he is probably one of the most famous cinematographers. And um, 
I was curious because I've been listening to his podcast about filmmaking where him and his wife, James Deacons, who works together on all of their films, um, talks to filmmakers about um, their experiences. And so like other cinematographers and directors and actors mm -hmm. and production art, you know, production designers and um, ADs and just talking about like what those roles mean and what their experiences are. And like, if you're interested in film at all, I highly recommend it. I think there's some amazing conversations and, and insights and intrigue that happens from the podcast. So that was part of my interest in seeing this is like looking at it with that lens, like the more of a filmmaking lens. And yeah, yeah, man, yeah. it just, it was fucking, it's, gritty <laughs> like and not gritty in the sort of bullshit batman way but like right real i will say one of the when we came out of the theater and we were talking about it one of my friends was like man like i was never into punk rock and like this feels like a you know and never did hard drugs or anything and like it feels like a window into a world that i i will never get to experience and to me as someone who grew up punk rock like grew mm -hmm. up in punk rock commute like you know music venues and culture and whatever as a teenager like I was like but this doesn't feel like punk to me <laughs> this feels like drug addiction right like like yes the clubs do feel like that and they do have that like violent ragey young angst and you know whatever but it it doesn't feel like a movie about punk rock as much as it feels like a movie about like chaotic drug addiction so Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. lots of parallels. The music yeah. is really interesting in it. Lots of parallels to the souvenir in terms of drug addiction stuff. So, yeah. Anyways, if that's what I did last night. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. Thanks so much for listening to Fumbus Frequency Radio. Uh, Carolyn, we. I miss you. Like every time you yeah. come on, I'm like, oh yeah. God, I love your insight, and I love. What, what you bring to these conversations. So thank you for making time for us occasionally. Yeah, I know you will best. be back on next season for a very special episode. So folks can stay tuned for that oh, in, in, in some months yes. <laughs> in the future. Um, where can folks find you or yeah. is there anything you're doing that you want to plug? Oh, uh, no, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I work for Kotaku.com, but I mostly, you know, I, I, I get to write stuff occasionally, but I'm, you know, I'm an editor. And so, uh, um, my byline is not uh, on the site too often because I have a lot of work to do just as, as an editor. But uh, anyway, you know, follow me on Twitter if if you're not already. You can follow me at Carolyn Michelle. And you know, when I do write things or, or just, I mean, I constantly tweet my opinions about film and <laughs> film and games and other stuff. So if you want more of that, um, just yeah, follow me on Twitter. Awesome. All right, y'all, join us next week for. Uh, the last episode of the season, which will be featuring another female-directed film with another guest. And you know what that means. It means we don't know what it is yet. <laughs> uh, to be fair, we are recording this like a month early, so we have a month to figure this out. <laughs> All right. Our show is engineered by Rob Perra. Carrie Stimson provides technical support, artwork by Jamie Barron, and our intro music is by Phil Circus. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye.